I'm so excited to be nominated. It's just an honor to be nominated. Honor to be nominated. And I'm Chandler, and you're listening to An Honor to be Nominated, a podcast coming to, to you every week about any movie and every movie that's ever been nominated for an Oscar. This week, we've heard your, we've heard your comments. I know the most anticipated <laughs> film we've ever covered, Seven Beauties, everybody's favorite film that no one's ever heard of. Um, this movie, Seven Beauties, makes uh, Hurt Locker look like a pro-war film. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's talk about Seven Beauties. I mean, what's it all about? Uh, Seven Beauties, for those of you, the few of you who have never seen it, I'm sure millions of you have. It was, of course, the highest grossing film of its year. Um, but, uh, no, it's, uh, the first time, the reason we're discussing it, this is the end of March, uh, the end of Women's History Month, um, though obviously the discussion keeps going, um, but this is the first woman, Linda Wertmuller, who was the first woman ever nominated for Best Director. Um, and as Chandler said, makes the Hurt Locker look like a pro-war film and makes the piano look like a Marvel movie. You're like, man, the piano is mainstream. (laughs) um, Yeah. So essentially this film is about a small-time Italian gangster and serial rapist who uh, kills a pimp cuts his body up and puts it in bags and then pleads insanity. And then in order to get out of being in the insane asylum, joins the Italian military during World War II, at which point he deserts and is then imprisoned in a concentration camp, at which point he then trades sexual favors with the uh, head of the concentration camp in order to become the head of the barracks so that he can survive the concentration camp. And it's maybe the best movie we've ever covered. It is. It is certainly a very like a a, an art film. Like it is a Casablanca, like Citizen Kane esque art film. Like it's very well done. Yeah, it felt like watching it. Like I was thinking, is that like we've covered a lot of movies that I truly love on this podcast, obviously. But I think like in terms of like the best movies we've ever covered, I think. It's Seven Beauties and Spirit Away. And where, like, both those films you could tell me are the objectively greatest film of all time. And I'd be like, yeah, you're not, like... So, like, there are things about this movie that, like, I didn't necessarily love. But it felt like I was telling them before we started recording. It kind of feels like um, going to an art gallery and, like, seeing, like, a Da Vinci painting or, like, a Van Gogh painting. And you're like... Well, even if I wouldn't necessarily hang it in my living room, it's just, like, objectively, like, a masterpiece. And, like, watching it last night, because I had some shit going on in my life, and so I had to watch this movie in two parts, which is not how it was intended to be watched at all, Mm -hmm. but did create this interesting thing where coming back to it after having time to think about it, for the second half, I was like, oh, this is a movie, this is the perfect movie to follow up the discussion we had last week about Schindler's List where I was talking about the conversation that I had with the theater artist who said no more Holocaust plays that are just about how how sad it is to be in the Holocaust. Let's do Holocaust plays about how you would have been a collaborator. And that's all this film is. is This is a film about collaborators. Where like the final line of the film, spoiler alert, is he comes back and somebody says, you survived. And he's like, I did. But he has like a nine, like a ten minute pause before he says, I did. And then it just cuts. And you're like, 
he, he survived in it's the really, most. Really, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive, me. which is I'm even alive. like, yeah, deeper. I think because the whole point of his life was like, I want to live a full life, and that's like, at the end, look, you survived. You survived the fucking Holocaust. You 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 made it. You're alive now, and he's just like deadpan to the camera like literally lifeless in his eyes and he says i'm alive and it was like whoa that's a, that's an ending yeah it's a, it's the better it's the better um version of weirdly enough this is a weird comparison of uh, avengers infinity war when thanos is like i did it i won and she's like what did it cost it's like that because well, you know i think that's the question it's yeah. like you know you're alive what the hell did it cost you yeah you have to shoot your best friend in the head you know well and it's interesting because i was thinking about the absolutely deranged opening of this film that is a five minute newsreel as somebody in doing like an Elvis impersonation. Oh just, yeah. Just like says different political tendencies, just like, Oh yeah. And it's like, and I realized that this is, a, I think a fascinating film and a very Italian film because this is really grappling with Italy's cult. Like when we, in the U.S. or Britain or wherever, make World War II films. It's always like, and we were the good guys, which I think like is more complicated because we did like commit the greatest war crime ever created when we bombed two cities to the ground. But like, at the end of the day, we could say the U.S. or whatever our faults are, we didn't do the Holocaust, <laughs> and you can't take that away from us. We did. We did do the the Japanese concentration, the Japanese internment. We did genocide of the Native Americans. We did transatlantic slave trade, but we did not concentration get Jews camps. In concentration camps. Also, you, there are a lot of notes about the U.S. And we haven't done that. Right? We also dropped two nuclear bombs on, on Listen, two cities. I agree, but I'm saying is that in U.S. Holocaust films, there's always this. I think veneer of like <laughs> well we're morally superior to them because we would never do that which i think like as we're seeing now with the concentration camps for undocumented people we would but literally like, we are <laughs> we yes to a, to a, i mean i wouldn't say that what's going on right now is a holocaust but certainly it's no good right okay. but like there's what's fascinating about making it from italy's perspective is you know, this was this, this film came out in the seventies. A lot of these people were alive during World War II and like were relatively young. But like the lead actor, I looked it up, was born during the Second World War, and so these people were alive when you know their fathers and brothers and you know uncles and cousins were all actively fighting in the army to support a fascist government, yeah. and like were putting people into concentration camps, right? And like. And so there's this interesting level of culpability that Vertmuller is really kind of addressing head on of the like, no motherfucker, we sat by. We fucking voted in Mussolini. Yeah. Like, and we voted in Mussolini because we were tired of the damn strikes. And we wanted, because like, that's what they always say about Mussolini, right? Is that say what you will about him, but he made the trains run on time, right? That's what people have said about Mussolini all mm -hmm. the time. And it's like a huge attack on this sort of like, Ma like centrist conservatism that I think really hit home in our current political climate of like you know well you know we're not the Nazis like Italy wasn't doing the Holocaust they just were fighting for the people who were doing the Holocaust you know what I mean and it's like well you know I mean if I didn't choose six people to die in this concentration camp because he the lead character becomes the like head of his barracks at the concentration camp and has to choose who gets executed every day. Yeah. And it, which is an incredible scene. Cause then it's just like, he's like, what am I going to do? They said, they'll kill everybody if I don't kill these six people. And they're like, then kill me. Cause I don't want to live anymore. 
if this is mm-hmm. what life is, I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just chooses not to kill that guy. I- that made me mad. I was like, just pick him. Just pick him. He literally was volu- He was making your job easier. Yeah. But you're a selfish prick. This guy, this lead character Is sucks. the fucking worst. He's the worst. And I, that's intentional. I feel very confident oh, it's that absolutely, it's intentional. It's oh, well, absolutely yeah. intentional, and it's done so, so well. This man deserved the Oscar. Fuck Jack Nicholson. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> 100%. This, yeah, this this man was nominated, correct? He was. Okay. Listeners, he was. Peter Finch for the for network. Listeners, gives, technically, we are doing another movie in our 1975 miniseries. No, this is 77. No, it's not. Uh, it's 1975. It it's seven. It's 77 or 76. It's. The movie came out in 75. It's 75. So it, it may lost, not be the 75. It lost to Rocky. Oh, so maybe. Oh, maybe it came out in 75 in Italy. That's possible. That's probably what it it's is. It's a 1976 so it was... Oscars movie. So right, then it so... would be the same as... No, so it's not... the Because our miniseries is the 75... The, 19, the, the year 1975 Oscars. Oscars. Okay, so this 74 This is the 1976 movies. Oscars. All right, well, my apologies. This is not part of our series, then. But what we should I'm... do 76, because this also includes Taxi Driver, which is a fantastic movie. I've never seen it. It's very good. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> this year was a lot. Well... This movie, I think, I don't, I don't know for a fact, but I'm going to assume that this movie inspired Lars, Lars von Trier to make all of his films. One hundred percent, because it it very much has the a, a uh, Lars von Trier esque. Uh, the world is is corrupt aesthetic. I don't know who or what that is. L- Lars von Trier. Lars von so- Trier is a Danish mm-hmm. filmmaker. Um, okay. who made Nymphomaniac, I think is his most popular. Um, but he also made Dogville, which is uh, Ezra and I's favorite film. Antichrist. <laughs> really. Antichrist. Uh, he just makes very viscerally, graphically, uh, hard to watch films. Okay. Um, about like, just like the brokenness of human society. Yeah. But what I think is interesting about both, cause I, I, Chan and I were texting about this, but I think. I had never heard of this. Like, I had heard of this movie as the first movie ever. Like, I'd heard of this as the stat, right? Where the first woman ever nominated for Best Director was... And I was like, oh, it's an Italian foreign language film in the 70s. And so I assumed it would be, like, a Bergman film. Where, like, for those of you who haven't seen it, Bergman, who was also incidentally nominated this year, was a Swedish director who makes these films that are very good, but are very sort of slow-moving character dramas about, like, love and loss. With just sort of characters like... Hi, I have feelings. And like, they're very good, but it's like, oh. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be like a very slow, sort of stately, like, yeah. and this movie is buck wild. This movie is yeah. crazy. And like, my main man's performance is the most unhinged performance I've ever seen on screen. Well, but I also think that it does, while it is a crazy film, it does have the benefit of having like the, I want to say the European aesthetic where like American mm-hmm. films don't let you like sit with things and don't let you just have moments and sit in stillness um, where this movie, like I think shines in those moments where it's just like, like the shot, like the long sequence where he's just like walking through Italy, walking through Naples. Um, I don't, you wouldn't get those kind of things in American films where it like lets you just sort of sit in silence. Um, I think is really sort of brilliant because it, it, it sort of juxtaposes those moments where he's in the Holocaust camp, um, the Holocaust camp, concentration camp. Concentration. Um, yeah. Really I feel like this movie, like you kind of have to figure it out along the way where it's not like, 
Yes. You sort of know what's coming. Like everything felt like it came out of fucking left field. And you're just like, oh, all right. Now he is in jail. Okay. Now he's going to go to an insane asylum. Oh, or now he's a, a soldier. Okay. And now he's in the fucking Holocaust. Like it's just, and you're sort of figuring it out with him yeah. rather than like, I think in an American film, it would be like, here's what's going to happen to this guy. Like there would be, yes. a, there would be like an image of him in the very beginning of him in the Holocaust, you know where he ends up, but like, you don't get that. I mean, you get this, like we said, this wild intro where you're just like, we're going on a ride. We don't know where the the, fuck this is going to go. Yeah. We're like the the title title is so misleading. Yeah. The title and the the poster, you're like, oh, this is just going to be seven beauties. It's probably about like, he has seven love interests and he's got to pick his fiance and it's going to be a little, little, little romp. And then you're like, no, 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 no. This man rapes no, women no, 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 and no, no, no. gets punished in the Holocaust, but he's still alive. Um, this movie, I think, uh, going back to uh, Hurt Locker, this movie is how I think a much better way of how you address toxic masculinity and how you, like, you know, we talked about how I, I didn't love the like the way that Hurt Locker does toxic masculinity. This, to me, is 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 the way you do toxic masculinity. Not to say, I mean, I think it's a little unfair because obviously this is a better movie than Hurt Locker. I mean, just kind of objectively, this is a better movie than Hurt Locker. I so yes, but like Hurt, where Hurt Locker, I think, does the thing that I hate, where it sort of shows toxic masculinity and makes no comment on that. This, to me, I think, expounds upon that exponentially, where you sort of go through this man, and it doesn't even, I, I don't even think the movie asks you to sympathize with this man, which is, I, I think is no. a huge thing, which is a huge... I think it actively tells you not to. Right, which is, but, like, for a film, I think that's, like, very difficult to do well, where it, it asks you, do not sympathize with this main character. Do not care about this man. Um, which is, a, I think, a hard thing to pull off, but it does so brilliantly. Um, and it and it addresses the, the level of this, you know, like uh, what it means to uh, be a toxic masculine man in the society. And I think it is very brilliantly done. Well, and I, I also think I've been doing a lot of um, writing. Which I've written a couple essays about like political art. And so I've been like immersing myself in like theories of political art. And I think there's this interesting thing about American political art, which I agree with Chandler is that I think, you know, be it more sort of up highbrow stuff like. Hurt Locker and more sort of mid-brush stuff like Joker, the way that American political art is, is just like, here's this thing, it's bad. And it's like, and so like, I joke with my friends all the time that half the plays you see in New York are just telling you that racism is bad. And you're like, who's this for? Who's coming to see (laughs) this play on Broadway who doesn't realize yet that, you know, like, racism is bad? Like, tell me something new. And I think that like, so there's that, and there's also, like, I think all American political art feels this need, not all, but much, feels this need to, like, underline and, like, make sure you get the message, versus this just kind of, like, for example, the multiple scenes of him raping women, like, you don't need to, like, stop the movie and be like, just so you know, no good. Like, no it, good. like she trusts her audience to be like, yo, fuck this dude, like, what the fuck? And, like really just shows the banality of evil and i loved watching the second half last night and being able to make the connections for myself kind of like what claudia was saying is like being able to like feel like i was figuring out the movie and i was like oh yes obviously this like obviously this is a movie about how we will collaborate into the grave but how there are these people who want to collaborate with the oppressors and they're going to collaborate themselves into the grave yeah and they won't stop collaborating even even as their friends are dying 
it's not working for them, but he's going to still, he's in the concentration camp, but he's still going to try and find an angle to appease the ruling class. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, which is like a super, I think, important political message that like has all sorts of like very important connotations for the current moment. But like, even though she opens with a monologue that does tell you what the play, what the film's about, you also still have the ability to be like, oh, this is the, like, this is what this is about. You know, and as compared yeah. to her sitting you down and be like, just so you know, like there's no monologue at the end where his mom's like, you collaborated yourself into the grave, son. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's what you're talking about before, Ezra, about like, it's like looking at a painting yeah. um, where like, I think a lot of American films um, will we'll do this, will do the thing where they like, it, it very much like tells you the film and it like gives you the thing and it like gives you the interpretation where this film is like a painting where you're left to look and interpret for your own sort of being like it forces you into that position like for the example the the part the sequence where he's where it goes to the sequence of him raping all these women you know it, it brought back to me the 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 line where he talks about how oh, I was so good with women. I was the seven beauties. Like, women loved me. Like, I, you know, they, and so it juxtaposes that with the, that moment where you're like, you realize that, no, this man's just full of shit. He was just raping all these women. They didn't then, love him. He was just attacking them. On that, at the end, when he has to, like, choose the six people to kill, Yeah, that sort of contradicts what he said earlier when he's like, why didn't we go and just save them? We should have tried to, we should have tried to sacrifice. And it's like, you know, which do you actually believe? Going back to what you said earlier, Chandler, about um, like the movie does not want you to sympathize with this character. And I think that's, like you said, really, really difficult to do well. I think this movie does it really well. Does. And I think I've seen, I can't name really any movie off the top of my head right now, but I know I've seen many where you're like not supposed to sympathize, but like it's, it's just done poorly. You're just like, this guy's a fucking dick. And I was watching this and my partner was like sort of watching in and out, not really paying attention to the whole thing, but sections. And at one point I was like, I just, I don't understand. Like, am I supposed to, it was towards the middle. So I hadn't really gotten to the nitty gritty of it yet, but it was, I was like, am I supposed to like feel bad for him? And like, I don't want to root for him. And like, that's making me angry. And my partner was like, no, I don't think so. And I think it's like breaking bad where like Walter White, like is not a good guy. But, like, that, I think, is the opposite of this, where, like, you do almost sympathize. I mean, I don't know. When I watch Breaking Bad, I almost, like, root for Walt. I'm like, yeah. I, want, I want you to get away with this. I think, But this I think is, like, the complete opposite. Yes. I think that's a great comparison, because I think that's yeah. exactly what, what it is. Because Breaking Bad does ask you to sympathize with Walt in, like, a very interesting way. And I think that works for that narrative. Yeah. But, like, with this, it is, it is asking you. I think, and it doesn't even come out and say it so I, I love that you had that experience of like am i supposed to yeah sympathize with this character like, as, and so as the movie progresses you have to like realize for yourself like it is like a you know as uh, on your own self journey of being like oh wait no this man is is bad and like in every way shape and form i don't care about this man and then at the end when he ended up in the concentration camp i was like i didn't like say it but i guess i insinuated that like he got what he deserved and my partner was like did he really get what he deserved? Like, does he actually deserve to, is it, is this really his fault or is it the Nazis fault? And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking the Nazis fault, obviously. But like the, the course of events that he, he made choices. Yeah. No one forced him to murder that pimp. No one forced him to rape all these women and all those choices that he made throughout life led him to this place. 
Yeah. So I, I think, think it's, it's just also... that complex like thing of like the choices you make have consequences and sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse. It's it's hard yeah. to say. And then just continues to, uh, like societies like nobody deserves to be in a concentration camp, but like you know so, uh, society no, that's is just not a, what I'm saying. No, of course, but society is just a giant cycle of abuse yeah. of like mm-hmm. you know this person abuses this person abuses you, and then they abuse this person, and then you know. Well, and that's why it's so like I was looking up this director who I think I now need to go watch all of her films. Yeah, uh, but apparently this is not super shocking, but she's like a super like lefty socialist Marxist, and I was like. Oh, but this is kind of the most communist film I've ever seen because like the whole point, like, because also this film isn't, I guess Chandler, I I think you and I agree with like, I disagree with the way you're, you're phrasing it. I don't think this movie is saying society is fucked up. I think it's saying that there is like these elements of the middle class that are going to like, I mean, it's like literally a Marxist analysis of fascism, right? It's what Trotsky writes about and what is fascism and how to fight it is. Let me clarify. I meant fascist society yeah totally. no no I, I i knew we agreed but you were saying the wrong word <laughs> uh, is that because i think like in america like i keep coming back to like joker right which is a movie i know that like claudia likes a lot i don't but i feel like the point of joker is like man isn't society a fucking con job and you're like that's not really a political perspective saying things the way they are don't work isn't really a political perspective yeah. everyone knows that things don't work the way they are versus this is like things don't work the way they are and it's these motherfuckers fault. Yeah. And you put them there. And yeah. you are continuing to put them there. You know, the one the the like the oh the the monologue at the beginning, those those who vote for the right because they're tired of the strikes. Oh yeah, those those who still support the king. Oh yeah, those who think Christ is Santa Claus. Oh yeah. And it's this idea of like there's these elements yeah. in like I was reading an interview with her where she's like, Yeah, this film's about the petty bourgeoisie. Which is totally what it's about. It's about this guy who like really wants to be a member of the ruling class but fully is it was like if it's like a ironically kind of a very american thing where there's this great quote that in america there are no poor people just temporarily embarrassed millionaires uh (laughs) jesus and like it's very like this is a guy who like objectively mussolini had nothing to offer him Mm -hmm. but he was like yeah i don't really give a shit about politics like whatever you know, say what you will about Mussolini, but at least, like, the, the roads are better. And then there's that amazing scene with the socialist dissident, who's like, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't know about that, but now, like, we're in the Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. This man that just, like, his blind ignorance allowed him to, yeah. Well, that's the best scene. That's That scene is, like, <laughs> so on the nose, because he's like, yeah, yeah, I got 12 years in an insane asylum for murdering a dude, you know, whatever. And the guy's like, what, like, what are you in for? Oh, I got I got uh, a lifetime sentence years. for being a socialist. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's a little on the nose. Yeah, I'm going to prison for life because I'm a socialist. It's like, oh, okay. Was it right, life? I thought it was only like 28 years, which is basically well, life at, I mean, that's at, a at his point. Compared to his 12 years for murder. I, yeah. You know. yeah, real tough. Rest in power, Antonio Gramsci, and all the other members of the Italian Socialist Party. No, but I also think that, like, I want to be really careful with what I, with how I choose my words here. But I think this is the best portrayal I've ever seen on screen of the Nazis. Because it makes, like, mm. I feel like all other movies I've seen about the Nazis make them look like stormtroopers. You know what I mean? In the way that, like, they never look like you never want to join the Nazis, but there's always this like they become kind of 
cinematic and villainous in an interesting way. And there's a, I believe a Francis Ford Coppola quote where he said, it's impossible to make an anti-war film because the act of filming it and putting it on screen glorifies war. And I think that's kind of like what we see a lot of times with the Holocaust is that like by built, like you are then like in awe of these like terrible evil structures. So like, I'm not trying to say that like Schindler's list and all these movies are like pro Holocaust at all. They're obviously not, but they're all like, man, look at them with their crazy, scary uniforms. They make them almost like, yeah, like almost like fantasy, like orcs, right? The same way you like, they make them into this versus this just makes Larger them seem than life. so banal. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, they're just That's in this ugly fucking room. Like, yeah. <laughs> disgusting i think i think that's the the that that's a great way to describe how they're portrayed is they're just like the the banal just like benign beige like this is just husks of what society has 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 placed around or what fascist nazi society (laughs) has placed around well and then you have like the head nazi who's like this disgusting terrible person but who also like they give her this monologue where she's kind of, where she's just like tearing down our protagonist. And she's not, where she's like, you're fucking pathetic. And like, she's not wrong, but also she's like the head of a concentration camp. And so you're like, well, fuck her, obviously, but also like, fuck this dude too. And it's like this, well, cause also I was thinking, Claudia, when you were talking about how much, cause I told, I think this character is unsympathetic from the jump. He's unsympathetic at the beginning, the middle and the end, but oh, yeah. still the character doesn't feel static where like he'd be, like, and I keep thinking about one of my favorite lines in the film was, was when he, like, in the first half of it, he's, like, so anti-sex worker that he's murdering this person because his sister, seemingly of her own free will, has yeah. decided to become a... His sister does not seem bent out of shape about it at all. It's not, like, a human trafficking situation. Uh, but then he comes back and he finds this this woman is like, love interest, and he's like, oh, so they made you a whore, too. And she's like, yeah. And he goes, well, did you get paid? What Do they pay you what they owed you? Mm-hmm. And then you realize, at least I realize for me, kind of, I like this, I, what Chandler was saying is that it's like a painting and like it's the connections you are making. Where I was like, oh, he also became, to use his, his words, a whore. He also was like selling his body to get ahead. And yeah. he did not get paid what he was owed. Like, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> no, at least, those, at least those women got paid what they owed. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think I think I I think that's one of the I I kind of think this is one of the best representations of sex workers I've seen in a long time, which is weird to say because it's not like a heavily involved aspect. But like we like his view, his view, his views of sex workers are like he, he like abuses his sister for like what seemingly is her choice. And then, you know, is it has succumbed to that and has then succumbs to like being a sex worker for this German Nazi leader, but then gets punished because he, you know, he was made to be ashamed of that this whole time where like, you know, his sister gets him out of prison by sleeping with the lawyer yeah. and like, and is, is takes charge of that. And then like, it takes charge of like, no, I'm, I'm doing this. Like it's, it's fine. Like, well- and on that channel, I think what's also good about it is that it's it's neither like shaming the sex workers, nor is it I think no. this other like weird brand of feminism that we see now, which is like sex work is fundamentally emancipatory. If you are a sex worker, you are liberated. Where it's like, no man, it's a fucking job. Like yeah. at the like it seems like being a sex worker seems just as dull and boring and 
lifeless as every other job in this movie. And so it very much, yes, it very much feels like that moment where he, where she like gets the lawyer to get him out of prison by being by having sex with him. It very much feels like, look, I'll do your taxes if you just get my brother out of prison. Yeah. Like you know, it very much feels like that. And I think in a very like uh, really incredible way for a film that came out in 1975. It is, I mean, like, we'll talk about this more when we get to Shared of One, because I do want to spend some more time on the plot. It is absolutely unhinged that the, I texted Chandler this, but like, the Academy was like, we do hate women, but how can we not nominate this Italian avant-garde puppeteer who made a Marxist film about the Holocaust? She's a puppeteer? Also is kind of a comedy, kind of a tragedy. It's a little bit unclear about a serial rapist who gets put in an insane asylum, tortured, and then becomes a sex worker in a concentration camp. How can we not give her a Best Director nomination? It's wild. It's undeniable. He didn't get one for Taxi Driver. It doesn't make any sense. This movie is the most non... This movie is the most non-Oscar film I've ever seen in my life. Like, Von Trier films are more Academy-based. Borat is more Academy-based. Borat, truly. I mean... I, and I that was before before this before I saw this film Borat was like the movie I was like wow I can't believe this is an Oscar film I, I cannot believe in I some ways it undercuts this film that it was nominated for an Oscar <laughs> because this movie is so against everything the Academy stands for it's shocking um, it's wanna, truly shocking I want to talk a little bit about, about the lead actor who I have never seen an actor more in touch with their physicality. I think in my life, I was like, this man, I don't like, it is a performance that like, I think is incredible, is very, especially for an American audience in 2021, very sort of shocking because you're like, people don't act like this on on camera. He's like giving like an experimental theater performance in a movie. And you're like, I think this is great. I think this is, I think this is like a perfect performance, but also it feels wrong, which is the point but it does feel wrong. You're like, who let this go to air? Well, how else do you, how else do you do that performance? Because like this character is an impossible task. Yes. It it's truly. an impossible task. I mean, it, it is a character where we are like, the audience does not give a shit about him. We're supposed to not sympathize with him. We're supposed to, in some ways, revel in his, his punishment in some ways feel bad about reveling in his punishment. We're supposed to see this man as as the representation of toxic masculinity. Watch him get punished and watch him still survive because of what of of his toxic masculinity. And so, like, it is a near impossible performance that I think just by the man by the way that he because he pulled it off, I think makes him one of the best performances of all time. I kind of agree. I once we get to Shared of One, I watched a lot of the other nominated films to sort of prep for this. I think Seven Beauties was absolutely robbed. This man needed, and the fact that nobody got an Oscar for this film, this didn't even win foreign film. This didn't win anything, right? No. What won foreign film? Uh, some film from the Ivory Coast. What I was reading is that uh, this got nominated. Everybody was like, we can't give this film an Oscar. Absolutely not. Shut it down. <laughs> um, well, I think, I think, yeah, no, I think his performance, we got to talk about it because I think his performance is up there with like, yeah. Al Pacino in The Godfather, Andy Serkis as Gollum, like, you know, freaking, um, what's her name? Uh, 
Vivian Lee as Scarlett O'Hara. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that like this is one of the like great great performances of all time. Like truly, it is like so interesting because it's only a performance a European could give. Because oh. very clearly, this person is trained in a different style of acting than mm-hmm. any like this person is trained in body work in a way that like I do a lot of work in like experimental theater and like I have like a lot of friends who are like experimental dancers and shit like and like so I have seen people move their bodies in that way, but I've never seen a film actor move his body in this way. Mm. Like and for it to like work on screen yes. because. And I feel like maybe this is an American thing, but, you know, in acting classes for film, you're always told to keep everything smaller. Like, don't go too big. It looks crazy on screen. Save that for the stage sort of thing. So, like, I don't know, at least from my training, I was always taught, like, you know, be big on stage and, like, contain everything and and focus more on the emotion in film. And this actor does both. And yes. it works. Well, it works. And that's why, and he's doing this, and he's also making this insane vocal choice. Mm-hmm. And then it all, and, and so you're like, this man's doing so much, and then it all builds up to the scene near the end of the film where he has to shoot his best friend in the head. And it just all, you watch it all fall away, and suddenly he's like, and suddenly he's Marlon Brando. And you're like, mm. Oh, like, it's very interesting, because if we think about, like, Marlon Brando and Streetcar uh, Named Desire as being, like, the turning point from a sort of more theatrical style of film acting to, like, the modern style of film acting, which is, hi, I'm acting. Right, it's, like, being small, being contained. This man does both in the course of a single film, but it makes both work and also has the best eyes in show business. This man... Well, I think the camera work and cinematography really, really help with the... Just all the close-ups on the eyes, like, so powerful. Yeah. Um, I, see, I didn't really pick up on the vocal choices he was making. I found the audio to be really, really difficult to, to listen yes. to. Because it was, like, off. Like, th- when their mouths were moving, it wasn't quite matching up fully, If I felt. Quite, so, like, I, I feel I, like the editing was a little weird. No, mine was the same. I think maybe they did this movie like like old school I where think they it's dubbed. Act, yeah, I think they dubbed over it. But it's just still was... voice. I mean, it's clearly still an Italian. And oh they, yeah. Like so, I don't know what that is. Um, I I I don't know if that was a choice. I I, I would assume it is because I assume this movie is much smarter than I am. Yeah. Um, I also I, it's hard for me to like comment on vocal choices in a foreign language film because. Yeah. Maybe, I'm like, for me, that's like, oh, I have no idea what they're saying. Maybe that's just how they talk. Yeah. I would say knowing that, so I, I had assumed it was a my Wi-Fi problem, that okay. it wasn't syncing up. Um, no, my- I, I wonder if it's a print issue, where it kind of, the, the version we were watching, I'm assuming we all watched the Amazon version, doesn't look like it's been remastered. And so I could okay. see that maybe this is like, we're going off of an old print of the film that's not necessarily, like, you know, like, it looked good, but certainly you're like... You know, like watching other films that have like been recently remastered from this era, you're like, oh, this looks crisp. This yeah. looks a little less yeah. crisp. And so I wonder if just uh, because it's kind of not as well known, they haven't done like a remaster and fixed all the issues and things. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Must be. Just because we're talking about performances, his friend also gives an amazing performance. Yes. His friend who he kills in the yes. end? Yeah. Can we talk about that uh, that that moment where he shoots his friend? Yes. Um, I think that's one of um, you know as a as a 
as a amateur fight choreographer, I think that's one of the best pieces of violence I've seen on film. Because it looks uh, like nothing. Like, you know what I mean? Like Exactly. Exactly. And it's a very small moment. It's just really there's this one moment where he's like, you know, contemplates pulling the trigger and then pulls the trigger into the like the crown of this man's head. And I think the the fact that it's in the just this random crown of his head is a brilliant choice. Um, is I, I, I know it's like a small, subtle moment, but I think it's kind of brilliant. Like, I think it's one of the best pieces of violence I've ever seen. I like um, the juxtaposition going back to that with just him, his like different lives, I guess, of, you know, how accidental or like flippant he was about shooting and killing the pimp mm-hmm. in the very beginning. And for someone who like, he didn't, I don't know if he actually wanted to kill him because he was like, you know, we wanted a duel. Like we, he couldn't find his gun and I, it was an accident. And then, you know, he didn't want to kill his friend either, but his friend really wanted him to kill him. And it was so direct and it was so like pointed and it was just clear as opposed to the like, whoops, now you're dead. This yeah. is like, this is my friend, but I'm going to aim this right at your head and just shoot. Yeah. Which was like really, really cold and like, like hard to watch. And then, and he just, he just is dead. And like, yeah, the way that it's directed is just like, you've pulled the sugar and he's dead now. Right. Like, that's it. There's a, yeah. there's a hole in the top of this man's head. That's it. Move and the, on. Way, it, it, the just... way that he then like, cause like he, he shoots like, and it's like it, the way that in that position you would shoot somebody, it's just like in the crown, crown, but like in a way you never see it on screen. Mm-mm. Yeah. And then it becomes this almost like comical, but like also like deeply scary and tragic of like, he just like flops. Like it's just so anticlimactic. And he stayed, and he stayed like almost hunched over for a moment and then fell over. Like, yeah going back to again like the way i think an american film would do this like i feel like in an american film you would see the the gun you would see where he's aiming maybe a, a close-up of the target and then it would pan out so that you're like 10 feet away and like he just falls yes. over yeah and it's just like yeah now he's dead like blah 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 no but it makes you look at the makes you look it's at the so gunshot. personal yeah. like you, it yeah. puts you right there well and what i love about i mean that this whole movie is amazing but that scene especially is incredible because then you have his friend, right, who this whole time has been, like, a piece of shit. Like, been, like, not as big of a piece of shit as him, but definitely, like, not, like, a good guy who has, suddenly becomes this, like, moral center when the, the rabbi guy dies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want to fucking live this way anymore. And you're like, oh, so these two guys came in together both as, like, not, you know, they were labeled as homosexuals. But, like, neither of them, we are, I think, led to assume are actually gay. Right, And so they're essentially in this camp by accident. But like one of them becomes like, listen, one of them is like, no, we can't fucking collaborate. And if not collaborating means shoot me in the head, then shoot me in the fucking head. I'm not going to collaborate with the Nazis. Versus the other guy who's like, again, collaborates himself into a grave. And so at the end, he's alive, but he's dead. And at least the other guy died with some fucking self-respect. Yeah. Yeah. Even the man who drowns himself in shit dies with some self-respect versus this man who lives with none. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I, I don't want to harp on this too much, but like that scene where he, he shoots his friend. It also like, it, it, it is one of the only times I think in film that I've never seen violence, like truly glorified yeah. where it sort of sits with it. And it's just like, you know, he's dead now. Like you've killed, you've killed your friend. You're, he's dead now. And life you, goes on. And life, life goes on. Like this is, this, 
this person is no longer here. And it's, it's in, in a way that's sort of hard to explain in a way that's kind of like looking at a painting where it's just like hard to explain why it works, but it just is such a really powerful moment. We keep going back to this, like looking at a painting, which is making me think of two things. One being that this movie did painting-esque-ness, that's not a word, but better than Barry Lyndon, in my opinion. That's number one. (laughs) And number two is, I think that was intentional. And the more we talk about it, the more I keep coming back to how much beauty and ugliness is brought up in this film and like how vain this character is and how he just he cares so much about the way things look and the way and how pretty people are and how he looks and what you know how his body looks and all these things and at the end of the day it's just like real ugly like look back at his life it's not pretty it's real ugly well like going off that claudia the cut the first cut because like the first few minutes of this film are like when they're escaping from the 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 soldier train and it's like very like it looks like it looks shitty and like washed out and you're like oh great so this is gonna be like a Zack Snyder film where like the color palette is gray and suddenly it comes to like fucking technicolor and you're like in Naples and you're like and he's like got the cool hat and he's got the swagger but within like two minutes you're like this guy's full of shit this is all a fucking performance. And so like that amazing long shot when he's just like strutting through Naples, like kissing all the women, hugging all the babies, right? You're like, objectively, what he's doing should look cool, but it looks so shitty just based on- It looks on, fake. Yeah, it looks fake because of how the actor is able to play acting better than I think. Like, I think this is like one of the top five performances ever committed to screen. <laughs> Even the way he like walked down the stairs yes. was like. And like, he art. always puts that fucking hat cocked to one side. I was like, dude, you just killed somebody. Like, <laughs> like fucking pull it together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love like, even in the, even in the concentration camp, he has his little, his cap to the side. Yeah. Just because he he always has to look be cool, he always has yeah. to be the cool one. It's like, yeah, my my hat's on the side. Like, but you're in a concentration camp. Like, what? What? Um, I think I I also think this is my favorite. Um, like, toxic masculinity is bad film ever. Like, step aside, Wolf of Wall Street. Step aside, <laughs> um, uh. Hurt Locker, I, like, this is, is incredible. I, this is the best way I've ever seen to portray toxic masculinity. Because it also makes toxic ma- like, all those movies that you mentioned, Jenna, which are movies I love, right? Every- I love Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I love Wolf of Wall Street. I love The Hurt Locker. But they do, like, make toxic masculinity look kind of cool. Versus this, it just looks pathetic. Like, it no like, on the, like, the only time he looks cool is the poster. Where, like, the poster is, like, him, him in the hat and the cigarette. You're like, Oh, this motherfucker is cool. Cool. And then you start and then the movie. You never and you're really like, see that in the movie. You're like, he's pathetic. This guy's just like yeah, a pathetic. fucking joke. Like, I... like he comes in all hot. Like, yeah, I'm gonna kill this pimp, and then he accidentally pulls the trigger out of being scared. Like, while he's the man a is like half loser. asleep. Yeah, like what a pathetic loser. Like, you're you're like, oh yeah, the girls love me. Like, I'm the I'm best. the seven and, beauties. No, you raped these women. <laughs> yeah, and you also raped like those seven beauties. And also, like, the the rapes are not glamorized even. Like, there's nothing, like, sensual or erotic about, like, obviously, like, I don't, but, like, there's, it just, it also just looks kind of pathetic. pathetic. Where you're like, yeah. 
there's no way, like, what is wrong with that? You know, which is, like, I think the way we should react to sexual assault on screen. Like, I think that, like, we shouldn't, like, and it's just, like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, the scene when he assaults the woman in the hospital, you're like, this is gross. Yeah. It's pathetic. Oh, that, I hated that disgusting monster. Like, it's, yeah, that is also, I think, also one of the best representations of, like, of, of rape I've ever seen on screen. Well, because, and, and also, it's not, like, the same thing I was saying about the Nazis, right, is that a lot of times when we portray, like, a rapist on screen, it's like, look at this fucking, like, Sauron level. What he got deal. away with. Yeah, versus this is just, like, most rapists are not fucking criminal masterminds. They're just pathetic fucking losers who are able to find some way to get power over a woman once. And yeah. you're like, that doesn't obviously and, minimize the trauma or any of that at all. But it's like, yeah, no. this guy, like, this guy's not a, this guy's not a fucking, this guy's not Jack the fucking Ripper. You know what I mean? This guy's just a fucking piece of shit. Loser. Yeah. He saw, he saw a, a poor, a poor, uh, mentally disabled woman tied to a bed and took, and took advantage of that. Like, in just the most disgusting, like, yeah. pathetic way. Um. Yeah, I think that's what this. Yeah, that's what this film makes. I think that's why it's so good. Is it makes it look so pathetic? Yeah. Like this man is such a pathetic. Like, like the German officer talks about. Like you're pathetic. You're 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 an animal. You're a piece of trash. You and can't like a really stand up. You can't even keep your eyes open. Yeah. And Which just, like, like again is the Nazis' fault, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> also slightly his. Well, and that's what's so interesting about it is that like. And then even everybody else in the concentration camp is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, shut up, dude. And that's why I love the portrayal of the of the Jewish inmate who's the one who drowns himself with who like again, they somehow make this man drowning himself in shit seem heroic. You're like, this man, give this man a fucking medal yeah. of honor. Like this man died yeah. with some goddamn dignity versus this yeah. piece of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 wild. Um, and it's like, in some ways you're like, man, you should have, you should have been like the other guy and died in a pile of shit because now you're alive and like, look at what you've got. Like, great. Good for you. You're alive. What does that mean to you now? Cause how can you live with yourself? How can you live with yourself? And that's why I think like that, cause like she gives, she allows him to take literally a three minute beat before he says, uh, yes, I'm I alive. am. Or I'm no, alive. I'm alive. The final yeah. is. Like is, and you're like, <laughs> It's crazy. You're like, I've never seen a movie take this long in between lines. But then you're like, he's like, I am. And you're like, no, he's not. He's not alive, in fact. No. Yeah. No. I Yeah, and I think that's what's sort of... Because, well, like, in a lot of ways, I think an American film would have would have taken the, oh, he's he's struggling to be alive. He's doing everything he can to be alive as, a, as like, a kind of a heroic thing. Mm-hmm. And this movie is like, mm, sometimes, sometimes you fighting and doing everything that you can to stay alive is not inherently a good thing. Cause it's you completely know? selfish, right? It's like, yeah, it is. When it's completely would... selfish, it's not, it's not worth it. If you're doing it for others, then yes, which I do all you can to survive. But when I think is the perfect point, right? Yeah. Is that like hundred percent in an American film, like American films view selfishness as being kind of good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a capitalist mindset. Yeah. 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 Because the only thing that matters in this world is you. So you got to fight for you. And so an American film would be like, yeah, this man did everything he could. Like, you know, he's just looking out for himself. But in this film, that is, I, you know, as a very Marxist mentality is that, no, that's not inherently a good thing. Like 
being selfish in, in, in that regard is not a good thing. You killed people and let people die because you wanted to live. That's not inherently good. He probably would have been better off and would have, I mean, he definitely would have died more nobly if he had done what he said in the very beginning when he was with his friend and tried to save those, yes, uh, the Jewish yeah. people who were being shot just randomly, yeah. like sheep. And it's, it begs that question of like, you know, what would you have done during the Holocaust? Would you have do, Would you have stood up against the Germans? And it's like, no, you wouldn't have. You're a pathetic, selfish piece of shit. But then, but then also, I think what to kind of go against that a little bit, Travis. I think it also is presenting these these visions of people who did, and so it's leaving you oh, with yeah. like, at the end of the film, I don't think, oh, I am that. Like, this is it. In an American film, they would ask you to think you are this guy. Oh, you yeah. would do the same thing. In this film, you're like, fuck this guy. If I ever saw this guy, I'd kill him. Like, this guy's a p. And so it's like very much like, don't trust the middle classes, right? It's like <laughs> what this film is. It's not like. Yeah, you're going to meet a lot of fucking toxically masculine, petty bourgeoisie pricks. Don't fuck with them. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, he's not the audience at all. In a way that, like, the assumed audience is a much more working class audience. As compared to an American film, there's a much more middle class audience that is assumed. Hmm. Yeah. Or a petty bourgeois audience, that's assumed. Yeah. yeah. Um, what a yeah. good movie. <laughs> It is. It's. It's. It's hard to. I don't know. It's I'll hard never to... watch it again. <laughs> no, no, I will never, never watch it again. Like it's. it's I'm glad it's, I watched it, was, it though. It's, it's a very like Dogville esque yeah. movie. We're like, wow, this was an empower powerful film. I'm glad I watched it. It was so hard to watch. I'm never watching it again. In in a way that like Claudia, you really need to watch Dogville. Um, but I don't know if I'll watch it with you, but you should watch it. <laughs> It's, it's just, you know, it's a very hard film to watch. I don't know if I can recommend it, but I should, you should all watch it. You know what I mean? It is, to transition us a little bit, it is crazy that this film lost Best Picture to fucking Rocky. <laughs> well, of course it did. <laughs> yeah. Should we move on to, should it have won? Let's do it. Let's do it. And the Oscar goes to... Because I, I'm going to take the hot take of maybe I think it maybe it should have lost everything because to give it an Oscar is to undermine the film. Why to do give you it say a, that? To give it a capitalist w- a reward to a <laughs> to the most Marxist film I've ever seen, I think kind of undermines its 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 uh, sure. intentions. You know what I mean? Sure. Did it? I wonder if it won anything like in Italy. Oh, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it won everything. Oh, sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was like the big film of the year. Let's talk about it. We need to. Sorry, I'm just trying to. It's find not working, so I'm just gonna do it in post. Uh, it was nominated for best foreign language film. The nominees are Seven Beauties from Italy, Nights and Days from Poland, Jacob the Liar from East Germany, uh, Cousin Cousine from France, and then Black and White in Color from the Ivory Coast, which won. Have not seen any of the others. I would find it difficult to believe that any of these are better than Seven Beauties, but maybe Black and White in Color from the Ivory Coast is. A masterpiece. I don't know. Um, I'm going to sound really dumb right now. Where is the Ivory Coast? Africa. Got it. Real dumb. Real dumb. Real privileged over here. There's a lot of countries in Africa. Um, The nominees for Best Original Screenplay are Seven Beauties by Lena Wertmuller, Rocky by Sylvester Stallone, The Front by Walter Bernstein, 
Cousin Cousin by Jean Chalise uh, Tashera and Danielle Thompson, and Network by Patty Chayefsky, which wins. Whoa, what? Really? Oh, okay. I had never... Okay. I want to talk a little bit <laughs> about Network. So, um, I had never seen Network, though I had seen the Broadway adaptation, which is essentially the scripted Network, and I'd seen sections of it. I Which was incredible. Amazing. An amazing play. Um... I would not be a writer without Patrick Chayefsky. And specifically Network. Is the Network birthed the genre that I write in? Okay. That being said, this is a sexist fucking screenplay that is completely apolitical, but is masquerading as political. So Trial of Chicago 7? Well, I mean, this is Aaron Sorkin's favorite screenplay. And oh, so, like, so, Aaron yes. Sorkin would not be a writer without Network. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, kind of the and so, what's frustrating about Network is that it's just like, man, the fucking media, dude. And like, in a way that I understand how, like, in the seventies, you're like, man, the fucking. But it's like, man, the media is lying to us, man. All our news is just commerce. And it's like, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. And it's essentially it still it's, is insane. Capitalism exists. Which is not a political critique. <laughs> and so it's like... And then also, like, the the way they write the only two women characters is uh, tough. Bad. Tad. Tough. Versus, you know, Seven Beauties, which the screenplay is... Too political? Question mark? Potentially. <laughs> well, Potentially. And, and so I think watching... Because I watched Network this morning, the night after... The day after I watched Seven Beauties. And I think it's tough... Because Network is so much like, we're a political film. Anyway, politics exists. We're a political (laughs) film. We're going to have people give monologues about politics. And in this scene, he's a radical leftist. And in this scene, he's an anti-Arab bigot. And it's like, what? so what's his political stance? And they're like, man, we're going to have the communists on our network. And they're part of the Communist Party, which was Stalinist in the 70s. But they're also Maoists. But they're also Che Guevara guerrillas. And you're like, so you just don't know what any of these words mean, my friend. And it's like, this is this is a political screenplay. Versus Seven Beauties is like, yeah, so uh, the petty bourgeoisie will always is the social base of the fascists. And the only solution is to, in the words of Leon Trotsky, if you cannot convince a fascist, acquaint his head with the pavement. And you're like... Yes, yes, Ms. Burton Mueller, as you were. (laughs) As you were. (laughs) As you were. So I would have also has like a very. Yeah. Well, because Seven Beauties is really good at being aggressively political, but also still being like a painting, and where you still have to like find your own sort of journey in it, which is is impressive. Good screenplay. Good Good screenplay. screenplay. Hit us with the next one. Uh, So the nominees for Best Actor are. (laughs) This is. Chaos. This is one of the most chaotic <laughs> categories I've ever seen. The nominees for Best Actor are Sylvester Stallone for Rocky, Will sure. Holden for Network, Giancarlo Gianni for Seven Beauties, Robert De Niro for Taxi Driver, and Peter Finch for Network Who Wins. I have never... This is the most... We say this all the time, but like, I truly don't know how you can compare Sylvester Stallone and Rocky to Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver to... Uh, what's his name? Um, John Johnny in Seven Beauties versus the two the two people giving Shakespearean performances in Network. I don't know how you can compare these performances. 
Yeah. It's Giancarlo at me. 100%. Without 100%. Absolutely. And like before I saw this film, I would have said Robert De Niro, but no. I mean, Robert De Niro is great in Taxi Driver. He is fantastic in Taxi Driver. I don't think that he gives one of the you know greatest screen performances of all time, like my, my boy does <laughs> here in Seven Beauties. I mean, there's no. I mean, like I've never seen a uh, an actor go on a, on the journey like this man did in this film. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's it's really it's really kind of makes the film. It's impressive. Like his performance is is Genre. impressive. Yeah, it really is. I had to double check within like. 10 minutes into my watch, I was like, I hope this man was nominated because if he wasn't, I'm angry. Yeah. Well, because it's also, it also, no American actor could ever have performed this. Ever. No. And I also think that my man, I forget his name, but the guy who plays his friend was robbed of a supporting actor nomination. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. He's not a big part in it, but I would agree with that. I also might have given, well, so the woman who wins supporting actress is only in five minutes of network. Um, Really? Yeah. Who would you have it, given it, it to from five uh, Seven Beauties? I would have given it to the Nazi one. Who I do think gives a good performance. She does. She sure does. I also kind of think his his sister that he yeah, beats up. Yeah, also a great time. performance. Also a great performance. I can't agree with that one. I, she I kind of like the performance. It, it was annoying. Um. Okay. I'm about to get... I'm about to get hot and bothered on the podcast. <laughs> it is. The nominees for Best Director are Lena Vertmuller for Seven Beauties. Sidney Lumet for Network. Great. Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face. Three oh, of the Bergman. all-time great directors, right? We got Vertmuller, we got Lumet, who did Dog Day Afternoon, and we did and we have Ingmar Bergman, right? Wait, Lumet is also the director of Dog Day Afternoon? And Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. Oh, my man. Oh wow. My man's got a yeah. My man's got a resume and never won. He's got a resume. I mean, so does Ingmar Bergman, of yep. course. So Ingmar Bergman and Sidney Lumet, two of the greatest directors of all, and Bert Miller, two of the three of the greatest directors of all time. None of them ever won a competitive Oscar. Our fourth nominee is Alan J. P- uh, Pakula for All the President's Men. Sure. Don't okay. know it. And then our winner is John G. Avildsen for Rocky. This Wait, man. Really? Robbed? Wait, Rocky. Good point. Rocky's direction is kind of basic. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I also had never seen Rocky, and so I watched about fifteen minutes of it, and that was more than enough. But (laughs) it is directed. Like direction took place. Yeah, direction took place. Also, Martin Scorsese was nominated for Taxi Driver. Which is weird. Switch out my man for Rocky. Put in Martin Scorsese for Taxi Driver, and you have it. Why did Rocky win Best Picture? Because it was the highest grossing film of the year. Yeah, I mean, this is where the Oscars are all politics. It's like Rocky's like Rocky's a good film, like it's fine, but like I don't know if it's a Best Picture though. No, and it's not better than than Seven Seven Beauties Beauties. direction wise. (laughs) It is crazy that you watch. You're like, okay, we're gonna throw on Network, a movie that. I don't love, but like Sidney Lumet is an incredible director, right? You're like one of the great directors. We're going to throw on Bergman, one of the, maybe the most influential director of all time. We're going to throw on Seven Beauties. We're going to throw on All the President's Men. But you know what? The direction of Rocky really leapt off the page. <laughs> but not the direction of Taxi Driver? But, no, no, we're not even going to nominate. We're not even going to acknowledge the really good direction of Taxi Driver. Um, Should we the... um, reveal our trivia answer since we're on... 
uh, our direction. Oh, yes. Claudia, can you read the trivia question? Yes. I yes. don't remember it. Ezra out, outdid themselves with this trivia question. If you don't know what we're talking about, we do Trivia Tuesday every Tuesday on our Instagram. Insta. Uh, comment on each post the what you think your the answer is, and you'll win pride, not prize. All right, so our trivia question was, uh, Lena Wertmüller is one of the greats of Italian cinema, and many of her films have very strange titles. Which of the following is not one of her films? A, swept away by an unusual destiny in the blue sea of August. B, too much romance, it's time for stuffed peppers. C, the end of the world and other small tragedies. D, the blue-collar worker, and the hairdresser in a whirl of sex and politics. And E, summer night with Greek profile, almond eyes, and a scent of basil. Sounds the delicious. answer is C. C. C is a play that I have written with the great <laughs> Drew Norris, past and future guest. Um, Read it. Um, I need to see all those other see, films. Also, especially the one with stuffed peppers. The... Yeah, it's time, enough romance and time for stuff. Peppers is her final film and is not on Amazon. Rude. Sad, real sad. Um, a, a tragedy, actually. Interestingly, yeah. so Swept Away is like one of her first big films that is about a uh, rich man and a poor woman who are trapped on an island together and have to like navigate the class conflict of like trying to recreate capitalist classes on a de- on a desert island. Uh, but it was really? yes. But it was remade in the 90s. Uh, and do you know who was the star of the remake in the 90s? God, I don't know. Madonna. And it was directed by the director of Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, okay. So I have not seen either the original or the remake. I suspect the Madonna remake is maybe less class conscious. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I um, put money on it. Lena uh, Wittmura, it sounds German, which is yes. she, but she's an Italian. Yes. Oh, she just has like a German name. Yes. I would suspect her family is German. Sure. Uh, oh no. And then it wasn't nominated for best picture. Rude. It wasn't? No. Rude. Absolutely rude. Well, hit us with the best picture noms. Uh, what t- are Taxi Driver. Sure. Yeah. Network. Okay. Bound for Glory, which appears to be a Woody Guthrie Biopic. Okay. All the President's Men. Don't know it. Oh, All the President's Men's good. Uh, Okay. It's about the breaking, it's about the journalists who broke the Watergate story. Oh, okay. So it's like Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford, like, on the case. It's like a mystery. It's fun. Okay. Uh, But the winner is Rocky. Sure. Run up those stairs, Stallone. I mean, again, I want an effectively bad actor in that movie. He's fine. Um, again, like and I want to—I want to—I want to be clear. I don't know. This film should have won every Oscar, but again, I don't know. Like giving giving this aggressively Marxist film a capitalist award, but in the most like you know bougie like bourgeois academy, I think you know it makes sense. Like they're never going to award this film. It's the most anti-Oscar film I've ever seen in my life. It's just so crazy. But, sure, give it to Rocky. (laughs) Should we move on to what we've been watching this week? Yes. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Chandler, what have you been watching this week? Um, 
what happened? I'm watching a lot. I've been watching a lot. What do I want to talk about? What, oh, um, I watched The Sound of Metal, which is the second best film of the year. Yep. It would be the first best film of the year, but Wolf Walkers exists, and I'm contractually <laughs> obligated. Um, well, Sound of Metal is incredible. I mean, like, so good. Rizamed, like, yeah. Rizamed probably should win an Oscar. It's going to go to Chadwick, and that's okay. And that's because like, I'm not mad about it, but it should be him. No. Because Chadwick's performance is incredible in, in Ma Rainey, but Rizamed gives wow. Like what a I hope, what he, I hope his career like starts to go off after this. Yeah. Well, and and speaking of, of American films that don't understand that like, you know, that American films don't usually understand stillness, this movie has has a great like European esque moment of stillness mm-hmm. at the end that's just so powerful. Um and also yeah, like a I, European understanding of like re- relationships as well. Yes. Where it's yeah. like, I feel like in American films, it's always like, if a, if a relationship ends, it's the end. And you all have to mm-hmm. hate each other. Versus this is like, yeah, man, sometimes things are... sometimes people are only for a period of your life. And that's okay. And, that's and it's fine. sad, but like... That's part of life. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, this movie has a great understanding of like life and like moving forward. Uh, um, yeah, and then... would. Uh, I watched something else, but I don't remember what it was. What did I watch? I get Letterboxd. It's changed the game for me. Follow me on Letterboxd. I don't know when how to I don't know how to do the social aspect. Show. Oh, there was something else I wanted to talk about, but I don't remember. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. In my um, attempt to watch all everything by my favorite director of all time, um, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, uh, I watched The Wind Rises. Such a good movie. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's I mean, all about he don't miss. Hayao Miyazaki, he don't miss. Dude, literally, the man cannot. Like, he's, <laughs> I don't know if he's tried to make a bad film, but it's impossible. <laughs> he, he's, like, he's like God. He, he, he's got no misses. Um, the Wind Rises is beautiful. Claudia, you, I think you would like it. It's just about... A, a, I should watch know, more of his films. It's, it's it so good. It was nominated so we could do it. It's just about a man that loves airplanes, and so he decides to be... But he, they but make he has, him into a soldier. Yeah, and he, but he has... Um, he has... Uh, vision problems and so he can't be a pilot and so he decides to be an air like a the best airplane designer in all of japan um but unfortunately this is world war ii and you know if you're gonna make planes you got to make them for war and he doesn't want to make them for war and then he falls in love with this woman with tuberculosis and like it's just a beautiful beautiful sounds beautiful it's and it's like also partially autobiographical where it's also kind of about Hayao miyazaki feeling like a failure because his animation was just used for commercialism Mm mm-hmm it's oh my god, uh, the the me. I mean Miyazaki might be the the best director to ever live, and I I don't think we talk about that enough. Like he really like. Um, have you guys seen? He the, has no bad movies. Have you guys seen the amazing clip? So there were a couple of documentaries made about him that are fantastic, but there's an amazing clip that goes around the um, internet sometimes. That is, uh, they bring him in, and these these young animators, you know, in their twenties or late twenties, early thirties, who are giving a pitch of CGI to him. And they're showing how you can remove bones from creatures. And so they have this creature like crawling on his head, on his hands, like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and Hayao Miyazaki's like, well, and they're like, yeah, and we could use this for like horror games or, or whatever. Uh, and Hayao Miyazaki's like, listen, if you want to make, if you want to make scary things, make scary things. But I think this has no place in my films. And quite frankly, I think it's an affront to life itself. <laughs> And it's an it's amazing, amazing clip because he's just like, 
super soft-spoken. He's like, yeah, I just think it's an affront to life itself and life is not worth living if we're putting CGI on screen. And you're like, damn. And then you think about how the most recent Studio Ghibli film, because now he's obviously quite old and has retired, is entirely CGI and everyone's like, yeah. it's the worst movie that they've ever made. Yeah. yeah. He, and he's, I'm sure he's sitting at home like, I was right. Like, shit. He walked out um, of his own son's movie. Yes, his yes. first son's movie, he walked out and he was like, uh, it was derivative. He's not the, he doesn't seem like the nicest man in the world, but he makes incredible films. What I also <laughs> think that, like, Miyazaki understands animation obviously better than I think anyone. I mean, because he's, he's I just objectively the best animated film director of all time. But, like, to the yes. point where, like, his yeah. films make animation feel more real than real life. Yes. In yes. such a in such a powerful, powerful the way. The way he does food. I, I just like like everything feels like 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 kind of so especially with Wind Rises, though I don't think it's his best, which is I mean, they're all hundreds. Like it's hard to say what's best. Um you don't miss. Yeah, I mean, but it feels so real. Like it feels so viscerally real, more than like a you know, a real movie does. And so it's just or a live action movie does. So yeah. Wind rises, go watch it. Claudia, what have you been watching this week? Um, so I took a break from watching movies. I've been watching more television um, on my own. I Well, not really watching. I guess on my own, like, background sort of trash show I've been watching uh, is Marriage or Mortgage yes. on Netflix. <laughs> and that's because, uh, very exciting, my partner and I are in – in the process of Getting a buying divorce. a house. No. Oh my god! <laughs> well, thank you. Um, we will be keeping that in. It is no, eleven in the morning. It is eleven in the morning. No, we have started the process of looking for houses. So it's fun to watch richer people than me look at nicer houses than I can afford. <laughs> um, I'll, I anticipate I'll be watching a lot of interior design shows in the future. So oh, stay yeah. tuned. And then what my partner and I have been watching together is Pose. I think we are almost done with season one. Um, It's very good. Thoroughly enjoying it. And they just wrapped the final season. So I'm looking forward to binging it all and then getting to watch the final season when it releases. Ezra, what about you? Um, So I have been dealing with some depression this week. Um, And so I've been kind of taking a break from movies. Um, the three sort of movies I want to shout out that I watched are uh, Claudia and I watched uh, Best in Show together, which is the Christopher oh, yes. Guest improvised comedy about uh, dog uh, owners. Very uh, that Very is fun. about Claudia's life. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Olivia and I watched uh, Beverly Hills Cop because I'm trying to uh, watch a bunch of Eddie Murphy films just because I like him as a screen presence. Fun movie. Fun. Yeah, like it's on HBO. Go watch it. It's not like a life-changing piece of cinema, but I had a good time. Uh, and then last night I watched a Wiener, which is the documentary about Anthony Wiener from a couple years ago. Um, that is the best and one of the scariest documentaries I've ever seen because he is trying to make his comeback and run for New York city mayor. And then as he's running for mayor, more scandals break, but they brought in this documentary crew to make a documentary about him when he's supposed to be having a comeback and then and they let the documentary crew just stay. And I don't know why. They, but so like the first staff meeting that he has after it comes out that he's been like continuing to sex people while he's running for mayor. 
there's a camera crew there. And so you just hear like his senior staff members be like, I think you're a piece of shit. And like they catch like him and his like him and his wife discussing how they're going to get a divorce is like captured. And so it's like the most I'm like, why did you throw the camp? Why did you throw the camera crew out? And so it's just like him. And it's like the, the day, like the first conversation he has with his wife about these scandals is on camp. And so it's like a, a like mind fuck of a show of a, of a film. Uh, so also like only 90 minutes. So I recommend to watch, but um, Olivia and I have been watching a lot of television uh, again, because I'm depressed. Uh, we've been watching generation on HBO max, which is essentially diet euphoria. Uh, but features uh, one of the best performances of 2021 by Justice Smith, previously seen in Detective Pikachu as a presumably genderqueer, effeminate high school student who does a lot of drugs and has fun. Uh, And then recently we've been watching a show called Trinkets on Netflix, uh, which stars the actor who plays uh, Supersonic Teenage Warhead from Deadpool, and then the non-binary actor who plays Jules' love interest on Euphoria. Uh, and it's about three high school girls in Portland who are kleptomaniacs and meet in a kleptomaniacs anonymous meeting uh, and then proceed to have adventures. Uh, fascinatingly, it's not about being a kleptomaniac kind of at all. And so it's, you're like, oh, this is a show about three, you're like, oh, this is a show about three kleptomaniacs. It's going to be about them dealing with it. 90% of episodes, they don't steal anything. It's like actively, like both Generation and Trinkets are like actively bad. Um, mm-hmm. but what Olivia and I have realized is that if you put a lesbian high school student in a show, unfortunately, we we will watch it. We will watch <laughs> and it. You're like, is it just like a queer teenager? How? And it's like, you know, like the trauma is like, is this girl gonna like me? Or oh, no, my God, I think my girlfriend's cheating on me. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want. I want more queer angst. We've had too much queer trauma. I want queer angst. So yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's me with like nature fighting back against industry. It's it's Ezra's is queer angst. angst in the film, and Ezra's like, well, like this is made for me. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't tell you, it's the worst film I've ever seen, but it's I love it. I mean, the writing is also. If you want to hire me, I will delete this podcast. But the writing on both shows is like actively terrible. You're like, oh, no human has ever spoken or behaved in this way. Yeah. But it's queer angst. But it's queer angst. And listen, they just want, listen, all they want is for their dad. And like all their families accept them. The issue is just they don't really know how to parent. And so they're acting out and the parents are grounding them, but they're super cool with them being gay. And I'm like, great. That's what I want. Great. Sounds good to me. Uh, Generation's a lot of fun, though. All right. All right. Can we announce our April miniseries? Yeah, go for it, Ezra. So uh, April has five weeks. Um, one of those weeks, the week directly before the Oscars, um, which I don't know the date of off the top of my head. We're going to do our Oscars, so we're going to say who we would nominate in each category and who our winners would be. Should be a lot of fun. I'm um, about that episode. I'm so ready. Yeah, me too. Uh, I've been preparing for weeks. And then the other four uh, weeks, we're going to do... Um, are we doing in reverse chronological order? Starting with the newest or starting with the oldest? We're starting with the newest. So we're going to go in reverse chronological order and we're going to do every version of A Star Is Born. <laughs> and so we're going to start oh, off with the, we're going to start off with the Lady Gaga, then we're going to go to uh, the Barbara Streisand, then we're going to go to the Judy Garland, and then we're going to go to 
the actress who's in the last one. Uh, Savage. What? What if she's the best, Ezra? You'll you'll, you'll look back and you'll first. you'll you'll regret no, this moment. Th- there's there's one before her. Okay. Yeah, I thought Judy was the first. Also, and then Ezra put together the list. I was like, oh. Okay. I feel confident that Judy's going to be the... Like, I feel like, not having seen the movie, I feel like A Star is Born was made for Judy Garland to just be like, in fact, I will be winning my Oscar. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I I'm mean, excited. Garland. So stay tuned for those episodes coming in April. Follow us on Instagram at htbn.podcast. Give us a rating and review and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.